<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This has been a pretty slow news week for China Tech. We sifted through a lot of headlines, but only one really stood out. And it's not really that big of a deal. Actually, it's just a small product cooperation, and it's not even launched yet. It's in beta. But we think it's interesting to talk about because of its place in the continuing evolution of Chinese e-commerce, which, in case you were not aware, is by far the largest in the world. By 2016, China already accounted for 42% of global e-commerce transaction volume, with the U.S. a distant second at just over half of that. And last year, that volume exceeded 1.1 trillion dollars. Which is why, again, trends in this market are so interesting and potentially applicable to markets outside of China. Today's story is on Xiaohongshu, also known as simply Red. The catalyst for the story is the news that Alibaba will be displaying Xiaohongshu content on Taobao. But the real story here is the success of the company and how it's made a name for itself in the intersection of content and commerce. But we also want to talk about the continuing debate on how these two business models can work together profitably, if at all. Yes, I really think we've just started to scratch the surface of the e-commerce industry in China. Unlike episode 17 on Pinduoduo, though, which was about the rural consumer and consumption trickle-down, Xiaohongshu is a story of consumption upgrade or xiaofei What is Xiaohongshu? How did it get started? What makes it successful? And what does it tell us about Chinese consumers? And why should you, tech buzzers, care about this company? The president's key economic team goes to China.、Uh, after a whole night thinking, I say I still want to do it. Hi everyone! Welcome back to Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, all so that you can be smarter about the world of China tech. TechBuzz China is a part of PanDaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma, and I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. We would like to give a shout out to our partners, Deal Street Asia and SubChina, creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to TechBuzz, you can also find the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China. You can also find New Voices, a podcast on women, as well as the new business-oriented China Econ Talk, and of course, the Caixin Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. Be sure to check these out. And oh yeah, if you enjoy listening to us, please take the time to leave us a rating review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, before we get started, we have a special announcement for you guys today. To our longtime listeners 
You remember our Tech Buzz episode seven on live streaming? That was the one that relied heavily on research done by filmmaker Hao Wu about live streaming and its impact in China. Yingying and I both got to see Hao's film *People's Republic of Desire* earlier this year, and we thought it was really well made, informative. And insightful. So this weekend, our friend Elliot Ng is offering free tickets for TechBuzz listeners who would like to attend the film screening in San Francisco. It's this Saturday, December eighth, at Roxy Theater, and the viewing will be followed by a live Q and A with How. Like Ray said, this is a great documentary. You can find more information, including a preview about the movie, on Roxy Theater's website. Again, to join us both with free tickets, just email us at yingyingpandaily.com by noon this Friday, December seventh. So, Ray, what is Xiaohongshu? Xiaohongshu. That's spelled. X I A O H O N G S H U literally means "little red book" in Chinese. Although the company's English name is simply Red. Now let's clear up a misconception. When I first heard about the company, I thought it was a reference to the book "Quotations" from Chairman Mao Zedong, originally published in 1964, and which pretty much everyone in China at the time owned a copy of. It was called "Little Red Book" because, of course, it's got. A red cover, and it's little. But the founders insist that that's not it. I mean, it would be kind of blasphemous given the political significance of the little red book. According to co-founder Miranda Chu Chu Feng, it was just because they wanted to use books to denote a path of learning, to discover the unknown, and that red was a memorable color. I don't know. That sounds pretty contrived. <laughs> I still think the real story is that they were playing an inside joke. Co-founder and CEO Charles Wen's last name is also Mao, after all, and that's a relatively rare surname. Okay, okay, but even if he wanted to be the second Mao with his own little red book, the two are quite different. Because you see, Xiaohongshu is a user-generated content platform for discovering new lifestyle products. If you go to its website, its tagline is literally "World's best lifestyle at your fingertips." And if you ask people to describe it, well, I think it's pretty accurately referred to as Instagram and Pinterest sprinkled with a dose of Taobao. Instagram because of the layout and the influencers, Pinterest because of the focus on goods and services, and Taobao because well, you can actually buy things on there. But as always, before we get too deep into the product itself, we're going to start off with Jia Hongshu's founding story. Because here at TechBuzz, we have always believed that a company's founders and the first few years of its development can tell us a lot about the company's long-term strategy and vision. So Xiaohongshu has two founders. There's Charwen Mao and Miranda Chu. You're probably thinking, what's Charwen? Well, it's basically a combination of Charles and Wen. And Charwen, who's only 33 this year, went to Shanghai Jiao Tong University, a top school in China, and majored in engineering. He then worked for Bain Consulting after graduation and in private equity, before attending Stanford for his MBA. Miranda, on the other hand, studied journalism at Beijing Foreign Studies University. She worked for Bertelsmann after college. She's the same age as Charwen, which means she's also just thirty-three this year. You're probably thinking, "Yeah, we get it. They both went to pretty good schools. That's cool." And one is an engineer, and the other has a humanities slash content background. So what? Well, 
While the education pedigree is interesting, what's also important to note is that both worked for foreign firms or Weiqi after graduation. It's not that easy to work for a foreign firm in China because most of them require you to be fairly bilingual. The salaries also tend to be very healthy, and beyond that, there's usually more opportunity to travel abroad and to meet a very diverse group of people. And that's important because Xiao Hongshu really began as a cross-border business for Chinese people to figure out how to buy foreign goods. Right. So stepping back a few years, Miranda and Charlwyn apparently met a decade ago in a U.S. mall when both of them were visiting Boston for a conference at Harvard. They were both from Wuhan, Hubei, which, if you'll remember, is the same province where Zhou Chen of Renren. Lei Jun of Xiaomi and Zhou Hongyi of Qihu are from. Hometown affiliations are important. Remember, as we've been emphasizing here on TechBuzz, people in China really trust people from their same hometown. And in the case of Miranda and Charwin, their same hometown meant that they spoke the same dialect, which led them to identify each other as Laoxiang or from the same place, even though they were thousands of miles away from home in a Boston mall. While they met all those years ago. It wasn't until Charlwyn went to Stanford for business school, and by luck, he went to a Tencent-sponsored entrepreneurship camp his first summer, that Xiao Hongshu started to take shape. One of his first investors was Bob Xu Xu Xiaoping from Genfund, who was fresh off of the success of investing in Zhumei, which was another e-commerce success founded by a Stanford GSB Chinese entrepreneur, and was looking to deepen his thesis of investing in overseas educated returnees. From the first, Charwin and Miranda set their sights on the cross-border market. By 2012, Chinese tourists were already spending billions of dollars when traveling overseas. They were buying the usual luxury names, but they were also discovering foreign brands that were still unavailable in China and having their friends bring it back for them from abroad. Now, a lot of the time, these lesser-known brands didn't have an official presence in China, but the bigger brands did. There was usually just either a price differential or maybe a different selection of goods within China. Guess what was one of Xiao Hongshu's first reviewed products? It was the iPhone 5S. Like most products sold in China until recently, that is, demand outstripped supply. You see, it turns out that Charwin himself decided to document the process of helping his friends get iPhone 5Ss on a trip to Hong Kong in December 2013. Back then, helping friends buy things while overseas was a common thing. For those of you tech buzzers with U.S. or Commonwealth passports, it's easy to forget how difficult it is for citizens of other countries, for example China, to travel. Although it's become a lot easier in recent years, certainly still non-trivial. In fact, bringing goods from overseas to China or Daigo was a huge business until recently. That's because for many items, the overseas price is often at least thirty percent cheaper than in China. That's a big difference if you're buying luxury items, which accounted for the bulk of these Daigo schemes. In 2014, it was estimated that in luxury goods alone, this was a twelve billion dollar market in China. The Chinese government, by the way, has come down hard on this industry in a big way, because most of these transactions were done illicitly and evaded import taxes. Since earlier this year, major airports have had consistent crackdowns on professional daigo smugglers, who often stuff their bags full of duty-free items. 
A new set of laws, which are already announced, will come into effect in January 2019, and it is expected that at least the person-to-person daigo prevalent in the past decade will be impacted in a big way. As you can imagine, it used to be this big mess because everything was done so illicitly and peer-to-peer. So there was a lot of fraud and counterfeit items, obviously. But Xiaohongshu and other platforms saw the opportunity to make this process more transparent. Transparency and trust are key. Xiaohongshu's success, at least in the beginning, was all about word of mouth. It was first and foremost a community. So the shopping guides and reviews had to be useful, but more importantly, they had to be real and not paid posts like the ones we saw in our episode on Ma Fengwu or China's TripAdvisor. But that's also why Xiaohongshu resolutely refused to use advertising as a business model. Even though it's a content platform, it makes money via traditional e-commerce. So as of 2017, the app sells 50% third-party goods and is 50% self-operated with its own warehouses and all that jazz. In hindsight, this looks to have been a good business model, although much more capital-intensive than just running a pure marketplace. But honestly, I don't think they had any choice. As Miranda herself admits, when the company was just getting started, buying from overseas was just such an opaque process that the only way to really ensure all transactions were legit was to operate the whole thing themselves. And those are really the two things about Xiaohongshu that makes it so different from many of the other social media and e-commerce platforms globally. It's a content community, but it makes money from e-commerce instead of advertising, which is what powers, say, an Instagram or a Pinterest. Kind of an intuitive, and probably not what your business school strategy class would have recommended. So here, there's two major objections most people would have. The first is that by running your own e-commerce operations, there is inventory risk. The second is that. Okay, so you have a really sticky content community, but by not having advertising, most of that content is actually not directly monetizable. That is, if people are posting about goods and services on your platform and getting really excited about them, but you don't carry the goods, then they've basically used you as research, but actually complete the transaction elsewhere, and you got nothing from that transaction. All really valid objections, but based on the relative immaturity of cross-border e-commerce at the time, also very reasonable decisions on the part of Xiaohongshu. And let's see how that strategy has worked out for them. Xiaohongshu is now at 120 million users and 30 million monthly actives. Last year, it was rumored to have nearly 1 billion USD in revenue, with a hope to almost double it this year. That's not too bad for a company that's valued at three billion dollars. Yes, that is right. Alibaba led an investment of three hundred million dollars into Xiaohongshu earlier this year. That is after Tencent led a hundred million dollar investment in the previous round. Not surprising on Tencent, if you'll remember, it was the Tencent Entrepreneur Summer Camp that inspired Charwin to start the company in the first place. But now Xiaohongshu has both as investors. And it's the latest development with Alibaba that makes it interesting, because leaked screenshots show that Taobao is planning to directly load Xiaohongshu's influencer posts into reviews of relevant merchandise. Sellers won't be able to pick and choose good reviews only. Xiaohongshu will use its algorithm to serve up relevant results, which may include bad reviews, 
so as to maintain objectivity. Alibaba is pushing hard into content-driven e-commerce, as both it and Tencent watch users' minutes on spent online be sucked away by short video apps such as TikTok. But will this work? Well, Xiaohongshu has never strayed far from its original mission of discovering and buying new lifestyle products and services. Even though in 2014, its slogan was much more narrow than that, it was actually 找到国外的好东西 or find good things abroad. By 2015, though, Xiaohongshu had expanded its motto to discover good things in the world. And then the next year, it simply became. Good life in the world, not just limited to discussion of physical goods. Maybe the fitness craze that took off had something to do with it. Anyway, today the app simply says "biology what a shenghuo" or "taking notes of my life." So that's even more inclusive now. The use case has indeed broadened, but the demographic remains narrow. In 2015, Charwen claimed that 90% of the users are female. It seems that's probably still the case. Fifty percent of them are from first-tier cities, and fifty percent are younger than twenty-five. In terms of gender, at least, Xiaohongshu looks awfully like Pinterest. But what differentiates Xiaohongshu's users from the rest of China e-commerce is that they are considered sophisticated with high earning potential. Remember, first-tier cities in China have a total population of something like a hundred million people, depending on how you strictly define it. To have half of your users be from first-tier cities basically means that you have incredible penetration with this demographic. It's also the opposite of what has driven the growth of recent IPOs, such as discount retailer Pinduoduo, which we covered back in episode 17, and social or content apps like Chutoutiao, and most of live streaming, the topic of episode seven. This is much more on the side of consumption upgrade or 消费升级 The mega trend and phrase coined a few years back, where everyone was convinced that the Chinese consumer was going to be as hip as they come, on par with the millennials of a New York, Paris, or maybe London, and that is not untrue. I think anyone who's been to downtown Beijing or Shanghai can see for themselves that is indeed the case for a subset of the population. But this subset is significantly smaller in population. Than the much larger and poorer Chinese rural and working classes, which explains why even Xiaohongshu could not survive on just foreign luxury and premium brands alone, but has now become a platform for all lifestyle products, including plenty of local players. But because they started at the high end with some of the most discerning and savvy customers in China, trickling downwards from premium to good value is probably easier than starting off with flea market goods as Taobao did and trying to climb up to Gucci. Anyway, neither of us are big shoppers, as you know by now, but we downloaded and tried the app for ourselves, and actually, it does seem to adhere pretty closely to what it claims to do, which is very commerce centric. No direct advertising and mostly truthful reviews, sort of anyway. For example, on my Xiaohongshu, I am following Gem Deng Ziqi, one of the most popular female singers right now. She's new to the platform, and her first post is from September 16th. I say that because it's only fairly recently that real celebrities have started to have Xiaohongshu accounts. Of course, they are being paid to do so. But still, it's interesting how they use Xiaohongshu differently from other social media. The emphasis is truly on things and not people. 
So even though Jem would probably get a ton of engagement by posting about her life as a star, she does not do that. Yeah, all 11 of her posts so far are about her diet, fitness routine, or by far the most popular, her skincare. Almost all of them are short videos paired with a long post. The users eat it up because most of the videos begin with a celebrity in their hotel room or in a car, talking into the camera like they're FaceTiming with you about their favorite life hacks. The comments below the videos are less, I love you, Jem, and more focused on the merchandise, which really does reinforce Xiao Hongshu's reputation as a community for buying things. If the product is available through Xiao Hongshu, you can then click and purchase it directly. If not, though, and remember Xiao Hongshu's SKUs are actually quite limited, you'll have to buy it on another platform. But because Xiao Hongshu forbids URLs and any sort of advertising, most posts ask you to friend them and message for more information. Often, they won't even tell you the name of the brand in the post until you do that. As you would expect, these posts are sponsored. Sure, Jem's few tips so far seem to be unbranded because she's probably got more important endorsements down the line, but most non-celebrity influencer posts are hyping some kind of product. One influencer who has 110,000 fans says he charges about $2,000 for a single ad on Xiao Hongshu, which might be an unboxing video or just a photo. By the way, that's on par with what Instagram influencers get paid, which is somewhere around $1,000 per 100K fans. Although obviously that can go a lot higher if you are, say, a Kim Kardashian. So Xiao Hongshu doesn't directly allow advertising, but the influencer economy that exists on Instagram is alive and well in China as well. And it's increasingly letting brands come onto its platform. So could you really say that Xiao Hongshu is as authentic as it claims? Sure, it can use machine learning to try to minimize some of these things as it claims. But given that it's been so difficult to scale up the e-commerce side of things, can it really stay away from advertising entirely? Earlier this year, there were rumors of significant layoffs in the e-commerce unit at Xiao Hongshu, although the company has since denied them. But it still made waves because despite being early in cross-border e-commerce, Xiao Hongshu only had a 4% market share according to market reports, even lower than Amazon. Maybe the integration with Taobao is actually because they're giving up on e-commerce and refocusing on community. What first seemed to be a big win for Taobao to be able to use content from one of the more high-end trusted brands on the internet is maybe actually a bigger win for Xiao Hongshu, who can't seem to scale up e-commerce operations fast or efficiently enough to really monetize off of its dedicated users. We asked Elijah, who is an expert in China digital marketing, what he thought. Elijah, can you introduce yourself? My name is Elijah Whaley. I'm the CMO of the Chinese influencer marketing platform, Park Lu. Park Lu tracks over 40,000 influencers across 12 native Chinese social media platforms. Wow, that's a lot of platforms. So what do you think of Xiao Hongshu as a product? I think Xiao Hongshu is a fabulous product. Um, I think it's only started to really gain popularity. I think it's going to be uh, just a killer platform in 2019. And what's interesting about it right now is that most people think of Xiao Hongshu as some sort of e-commerce social media hybrid, 
But I don't think that's actually what's taking place. I believe Xiaohongshu is the next generation search engine based on, like most web content was based on, blog posts. And these are short form blog posts that consist of obviously images or they can be short video. But right now, what we're seeing is the user behavior for Xiaohongshu is obviously it's a very strongly um, skewed demographic towards young females. But they go on there for a primary source of research, looking for products, getting social validation for whether these are things that they want to buy in the future. Really what it comes down to, though, is the mechanics of the platform are very, very similar to search engines. That's actually the same tagline these days for Pinterest, by the way, a sort of visual search engine. But again, Xiaohongshu doesn't make its money that way yet, although it could. Anyway, back to this integration with Taobao. What are your thoughts? Alibaba's investment in Xiaohongshu is obviously a sign of strength for the platform. And the recent integration of Xiaohongshu content into Taobao I do not believe is a sign of weakness for Xiaohongshu, but a sign of strength for the quality of the content that's being produced and that it's actually quite a bit better than the Weitao system that is currently used in Taobao for social content and just showing that there's a lot of quality and action and heat that's taking place on the platform that Alibaba would like to leverage across its other e-commerce platforms. A lot has been made about the quality of the content on Xiaohongshu. Could you speak to that? How are they managing to keep the quality high? Besides that, we've seen really great growth with celebrities adopting the platform, um, local and international. KOLs are coming to the platform in droves. But one of the most unique things about the platform is how really, really the cheesy term authenticity really means a lot on this platform. We really see that that very authentic, very engaging, very real content performs very well on this platform. Anything that's commercial, anything that's overproduced um, seems to not perform as well. And then that's actually a part of the design. And it seems to be something that Xiaohongshu itself is trying to promote and trying to keep active on the platform and, and keeping things that direction. As KOLs get larger, we see their engagement rates drop dramatically, and that's likely because they're getting organic visibility restrictions because of the platform. And so they really want to give a good chance to those grassroots, long-tail micro-KOLs who are commonly more authentic in some ways and less likely to have a lot of paid and sponsored posts. That's really helpful. Thanks, Elijah, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. We know that you're actually running an event with Xiaohongshu as we speak. Okay, I think we've covered most of the major points. Why don't we summarize for our listeners what we think the key takeaways are from today? You want to go first, Ray? First, we learned that Xiaohongshu does two things differently from many of its e-commerce competitors. It targets the higher end of Chinese consumers, and to provide these picky buyers with a great experience, it doesn't allow for advertising in its content-driven community, instead choosing to make money from e-commerce operations. We also learned that even though it began by targeting the niche of Chinese users who are interested in foreign goods, it's now a broad, lifestyle-focused platform, 
as user habits and tastes have evolved to become ever more sophisticated. Thirdly, in China, video is being used as one of the primary ways to drive commerce, just like in the U.S. It fits better with the theme of discovery and shopping as entertainment, as more and more of that moves online. Shoppers worldwide are browsing and researching and learning long before they buy something. It's no longer about finding how to get to the big brands, but more about discovering and learning about new ones. That's why Miranda calls Xiaohongshu a Disneyland. Yeah, Disneyland again. Remember what other company did the same? Pinduoduo, which literally put that into its prospectus. The difference, though, is that online. You get to use algorithms to curate a different Disneyland for every shopper, but there's still a significant gap between the capabilities of someone like Xiao Hongshu, who is providing the content, and someone like Taobao, who can fulfill the purchase of the final goods, which probably explains why Xiao Hongshu has been more and more focused on marketing itself as content for the style obsessed instead of as a commerce platform. If I have to guess, the latter is going to still be more dominant in the foreseeable future. But meanwhile, going deep into content is still a good strategy. It's a unicorn opportunity if you do it right. Just probably not a hundred billion dollar one. The similarities with U.S. platforms are interesting, though. Imagine if Amazon included reviews and posts from Pinterest or Instagram, all that content but siloed on different platforms. Alibaba is very smart and trying to suck it all in. Either way, it would seem that the consumer wins. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we are always open to any comments or suggestions. Don't forget to come out to Howe's show this weekend. You can find us on Twitter at thepandaily. At TechBuzz China, and my personal Twitter account is spelled G I N Y G I N Y, and my Twitter is spelled R U I M A. By the way, as an addendum to today's episode, you can listen to the GGV nine nine six podcast for a detailed interview with Miranda. Check our transcript for the link. TechBuzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. PanDaily dot com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Shaw Wan and Kaiser Cole. Our intern is Wang Mengbu.